Recovery Elevator, episode 116. I mean, I do get up, though, with, like, an, an excitement, like a jump in my steps. Like, it's so nice to wake up and not feel, like, so awful about yourself. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, seven months, and one week. Speaking of the sobriety tracker, it's about to get a facelift. Currently, it's 99 cents, but in about three weeks when it's finished, it's going to be free. There's going to be a sample daily checklist of ways to stay sober. It's going to track more things. You're going to be able to see how many times you've reset the calculator. And overall, it's just going to be a hell of a lot better. On today's podcast, we've got Laura. She's 40 years old. She's hot. On today's podcast, we've got Laura. She's 40 years old. She's got two kids and she's been sober for 41 days. This podcast is set to release on May 8th. That means in 12 days, we've got the AALRM or the Alive Again Life Recovery Mission Run for Recovery. This takes place in Bozeman, Montana on Saturday, May 20th. However, you can do a virtual run for recovery. Last year, we had several people do the virtual run, post photos on the Recovery Elevator Facebook page in Cafe RE. It was a great time. So go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash run and use the promo code Recovery Elevator for a discount. I've got one more thing to cover before we get started. The private confidential community Cafe RE is going to be capped at 300 members. Currently, we are at 255, and I imagine the 300 mark will be hit in the next couple weeks, so don't wait to join. Seeing Third Eye Blind in your favorite local coffee shop is an amazing, intimate experience. Seeing Third Eye Blind in the giant Patriot Stadium of Gillette Field is a little different. I've found that when these groups get over 300 members, that intimacy is compromised. Therefore, the private community Cafe RE will be capped at 300. There will be a waiting list for another group to open. However, the original Cafe RE will be capped at 300, so if you'd like to be part of it, don't wait. Okay, let's get started. I feel like I've been duped. Correct. Well, I've been duped many times in my life, and today I'll probably be duped a couple more times. A bird could fly by and possibly dupe on my shoulder. But more specifically, I feel like I've been duped by alcohol. I had the pleasure of giving a TEDx talk this past Saturday in Bozeman, Montana. Actually, I had the pleasure of giving two back-to-back TEDx talks, one in Vail, Colorado on Saturday, April 1st, and another one the following Saturday on Saturday, April 8th. Both of these talks will be on YouTube in the next three to four months, and I'll post links on the website and Facebook pages when they're up, but I think they went pretty well. And what an amazing opportunity to stand up on stage and share my experience my strength, and my hope. I was fortunate. As I mentioned in one of the talks, is I'm one of the lucky ones. According to the World Health Organization, only one in 10 get sober and receive the treatment that they need. I was one of the lucky ones to be standing on that stage talking with the audience. I'm sure there were people in the crowd thinking, oh my, this poor guy who became an alcoholic in his late teens and his 20s. This poor soul. However, that's not how I see it. I'm one of the lucky ones one of the lucky ones to have returned to a life of happiness like I witnessed before drinking. My first talk in Colorado was geared more towards my entrepreneurial endeavors, and it wasn't until I got sober did they really take off. I mentioned a strategy that I live my life by. That is called the BOPO strategy. 
You know, the Boppo, the clown, the inflatable clown with a weighted base that pops back up after each time you punch it, rendering its opponents utterly exhausted? Yeah, I'm like the real human life version of Boppo the clown. Now, when I was trying to get sober, I kept on getting knocked down. But simply getting back up is what it took to get past it. Man, and I got my ass kicked so many times by alcohol. But eventually, something stuck, and Boppo the Clown popped right back up, and now Boppo is standing straight up and no longer drinking. My second TEDx talk in Bozeman, Montana, was about how I was duped by alcohol, and this is how it went. Duped. I feel like I've been duped by alcohol. I recall in high school, the motivational speakers would come to my school and say, don't do drugs. Don't do meth, cocaine, crack, or heroin. I would say to myself, okay, I heard you loud and clear. I won't do drugs. Absent from those talks, however, was any reference to alcohol. From what I saw on TV, the movies, pretty much each direction I looked, as long as I was over the age of 21, everything was going to be just fine. I started drinking in college, and I loved it. I had a great time. I started to drink more and more, and you could say I became enchanted with it. My jokes seemed funnier. I could talk to the girls, and most importantly, I didn't care what others thought about me. After majoring in business in Spanish, I had the brilliant idea to move to Granada, Spain and buy a bar. Looking back, it was clear I had a drinking problem before buying the bar, and my drinking became so bad in Spain that I was blacking out five to seven nights per week. 20 to 25 drinks a night? That was the norm. One night, I ended up in the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack, but it really ended up being alcohol-induced withdrawal symptoms and a severe anxiety attack. I thought to myself, what in the hell happened? What is going on? I'm a smart guy. Why can't I control this? Well, my drinking only increased, so I did a smart thing. I walked away from the bar in Spain, hoping a geographical change would cure my drinking, but it didn't. My drinking still increased. At a time when my friends seemed to be phasing out of their heavy drinking days, I was ramping up. What is going on? So I decided to do some research and I went to Dr. Google. With the help of Dr. Google, I discovered an episode on the Freakonomics podcast with a Dr. David Nutt, who was hired by the British government to place a harm score on the world's 20 most addictive drugs. His findings surprised me. He found that magic mushrooms did the least amount of harm to those who take it and others. And guess what landed at number one? It wasn't meth, it wasn't crack, it wasn't cocaine or heroin. It was alcohol. Duped. Felt like I had been totally and completely duped by alcohol. And why hadn't I known alcohol could be so dangerous? Well, it turns out that alcohol is quite addictive and dangerous. What I didn't hear from those motivational speakers in elementary school, middle school, and high school was that alcohol kills more people each year than every other drug combined. Again, that's every other drug combined. Nearly 33% of all traffic fatalities, around 11,000 each year in just this country alone, involve alcohol. 85,000 Americans, over 3 million people worldwide, die each year due to alcohol-related causes. So at age 28, I decided to quit. Permanently. But the problem was, I couldn't. Due to the addictive properties of alcohol and the stigma surrounding addiction, I couldn't quit. I could get a week, a month, even a year only to be dragged down in a vicious cycle of addiction again. So finally, after a decade of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, 
and a failed suicide attempt due to the damn stigma. I quit drinking on September 7th, 2014. And let me tell you why this is my crowning achievement in life. Only 5% will make it to 90 days of sobriety. Of those, 5% will make it to two years of sobriety. That's 2.5 people out of 1,000 will make it to two years of sobriety after they've made the decision to quit drinking. So with about two months of sobriety, I went to an AA meeting. I was ducking and dodging behind trees. Thank you, stigma. And two things came to mind. Number one, I knew I was going to drink again if I didn't do something different. Number two, if there's so many people struggling, why are we so secretive about our drinking problems? So in 2015, I selfishly started the Recovery Elevator podcast to create accountability for myself. I didn't care who listened. I didn't care if it was just myself, my mom, my brother, and my dad. As long as I stayed sober, then great. If I helped a couple other people along the way, well, then that's a huge bonus. What happened next blew my mind. The podcast has been downloaded over 1 million times in all 50 states and over 140 countries. Now, I'd like to think it's because I'm a highly skilled interviewer or that my topics are incredibly insightful, but I know it's because there are so many out there struggling with alcohol. What I've learned after having 120 interviewees on the podcast is that alcoholism is not an indication of weak morals or that one lacks the muscle of willpower and it does not discriminate. I've interviewed doctors, engineers, physicians, attorneys, even the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. In 1956, the American Medical Association classified alcoholism, addiction, as a disease. In 2016, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy recognized addiction as a chronic disease of the brain worthy of compassion just like any other chronic disease, like diabetes or heart disease. Why the debate still exists, if addiction is a disease or not, is a mystery to me. But I do know it has something to do with the damn stigma. And it's this stigma that forces us to reach our most severe moments in pain before reaching out for help. Me publicly coming out as someone with a drinking problem has been the best thing I could have ever done. I created accountability for myself, found a way to help myself by helping others. And as a result, I'm approaching three years of sobriety this coming September. With so many people struggling, and the odds not in our favor, how do we beat this? How do we return to a life of happiness like we experienced before drinking? Well, it must be clear, we are facing two mighty adversaries. Number one, a dangerous and addictive drug called alcohol. Number two, the stigma surrounding addiction. What I have surmised after hundreds of conversations with those who have been successful in sobriety is that through community is the very best way to face this problem. We simply cannot do this alone. I have found the treatment does not come in tablet form, but comes in the form of laughter, hugs, smiles, and open conversations with other live human beings. Regarding the stigma, it's time to shred the shame. This is a disease just like cancer. It's the silence and anonymity that perpetuates the stigma surrounding addiction. Now let me run you through a ridiculous scenario. If someone were to notice a mole on the back of their arm that was rapidly changing size, color, and shape, they'd get it checked out pretty quick. With alcoholism, the opposite happens. We keep our drinking a secret. We place unrealistic rules and strategies into place. So I challenge you, if you're struggling with alcohol or you know someone who is, 
Don't be so secretive about it and reach out before it's too late. It's easy and understandable for one to become duped by alcohol when people rarely talk about it. Standing in front of 600 people and giving a talk is hard. Standing in front of 600 people and revealing your deepest and darkest secrets is even harder. However, it is liberating. It's like the 10,000 pound gorilla is just off your back when you finally get it out. And I highly recommend that you do so if you were listening right now. I only had to drink a couple hundred thousand beers to do a TEDx talk, but it was a fantastic opportunity and it was great to share my story. Afterwards, I had several people come up to me and say things like, I need to recommend your podcast to my husband. One person pulled out a pen and paper and said, what's the podcast name again? One person came up and said, hey, are you Rick? And I said, no. And they said, okay. (laughs) Seriously, that did happen. But about 10 other people came up and said, wow, congratulations. Thank you for being so open and honest. I've got a family member, my brother, my mom, my uncle. Hey, I might even be questioning my drinking. It's amazing just how many people out there are struggling. Perhaps I'm the only one, but I doubt that I'm the only one that feels that I've been duped by alcohol. Well, senor alcohol, no mas. I'm done drinking Adios. Those are really the only words I learned in Spain, so decided to throw that out there. Okay, and now let's hear from our interviewee, Laura. Laura, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. Laura, let's dive right into this. How long have you been sober? About 41 days. Nice. Congratulations. So what's the date? February 11th. Okay. Nice job. Nice job. Thank you. And before we get any further in the interview, give listeners a little bit of information about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, do you have a family, and give us a couple hobbies. What do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm 40 years old. I'm married. I have two boys, um, age 13 and age 8. I live in Novi, Michigan. I'm a special education teacher at an elementary school. I like to do basically anything outside. I like to garden. I love to go hiking. I love to walk my dog. Anything outside I like. I like riding my bike, all those fun things. Nice. Those are all activities that are very conducive to early sobriety to to kind of get past a lot of cravings and get the mind out of it. Have you used some of those Mm -hmm. activities to help you get 41 days? Yes, absolutely. Especially the first week. I mean, there was the third night I was crying because I wanted a drink so bad. And it was, uh, it happened to be my late mom's birthday. So my husband got home and I was cooking and he came up and hugged me and I just started crying like hmm. uncontrollably. And he, you know, he was just consoling me and I'm thinking, doesn't he wonder why I'm crying? And then I thought about it. He thought I was crying because it was my late mom's birthday when in fact it was because I wanted a drink that bad. I mean, that's wow. how sad it was. And I, I'm, you know, and at that point I had some wine in the garage and, you know, I said, maybe it would be okay just for just to have one cup, you know, and we, I knew that it would turn into like the whole box. So, sure. so we ended up going for a walk that night we ended up walking like every night after that for the first couple of weeks, because that was the one thing that helped through the cravings, especially like when eight o'clock hit, which is normally my drinking time. Now, was your husband on board of what was going on? You know, when he came home, he thought it was because it was your, who was it again? 
No, my 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 mom who passed away a few years ago. Oh. It was her birthday. Okay, sorry to so hear about that. So he thought that that was a he he thought that that's why I was so upset because sure. it was her birthday and she wasn't here. But that's the sad thing is that I wasn't upset because it was my mom's birthday and it was I was upset because I wanted a freaking drink so bad. Yeah, and then when you guys went really on a walk, sad. did you did you fill him in on what was going on? Well, I don't think I was that open in the beginning because I've had so many times where I've said to myself, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, and then I don't. So I don't even I don't even think I really told him in the beginning. It was just like after a week, I would say, you know, hey, it's been a week. And he would be like, wow, that's really good. And then after a month, I was like, wow, did you know it's been a month? And he was like, wow, that's really good, you know. So I wasn't that obvious about it in the beginning. I wasn't. I mean, I knew that I wanted to do it, but I wasn't I wasn't that open about it, I guess. Sure. And let's back it up a little bit. When you see you're, you're 40 years old right now. When did you first suspect that you might have a problem with alcohol? I mean, I've been drinking heavily since my 20s. The only time that I remember stopping for a lengthy period of time was during both of my pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's been more nights drinking than not drinking. I really knew that I had a problem last summer when I wanted to stop and I couldn't stop. Tell us more about that. I went to the doctor because I woke up with lung pain and I was diagnosed with something called pleural effusion, which is fluid in between your lungs and your rib cage. Uh-huh. Also, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So the pleural effusion, they thought, could be a side effect from the rheumatoid arthritis. But when I looked into it, it could also be a side effect from liver problems. Mm-hmm. So during one of my checkups, I mentioned to my doctor, I said, I'm drinking every single night. You know, I'm worried that maybe it's my liver. And I mentioned maybe going to rehab. And he said, the only rehab we have around here, there's a lot of drug addicts that go. He said, I don't recommend it for you. Really? He said, mm-hmm. He said, we have a wonderful social worker here who does classes. He's awesome. Come to his classes. Come to his program. And so I left with that information. And when I followed up, they wouldn't take me because I hadn't stopped drinking. And one of the social workers I talked to said, you need to go to a place where they can monitor you for a few days because you could die from withdrawal. So I tried to get into a place and nobody ever called me back. It was like I was going around and around and around. And finally, I just midsummer, I just gave up on it. I was still trying to stop. I actually got involved with, you've probably heard of it. It's like a harm reduction group. Yeah. Is it like community groups? It is, but the harm reduction is is all about continuing drinking, but having 100% control over it. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I I was involved in that group, and I was involved in a Facebook group with that technique and it didn't work out for me. Yeah. So I've, I just I actually, kept drinking I've met drinking. a lot of people that have done the harm thing and I haven't met anybody that's worked out for. Do you know anybody that it worked out for in your group? The, there's the leader, his name is Penny Anderson. He wrote a book and I know a lot of the times he'd say drink counts and you'd list how many drinks you had that night and his was always zero uh-huh. except for like when he planned to become intoxicated then it was always like 17. Jesus. But other than that, I know, other than that, it seems like it seems like that Facebook group was more like crazy people who partied a lot and who drank a lot. Like it's it's 100% different than the recover, Recovery Elevator Facebook group. Just completely different. 
it was not helpful to me. Maybe it's helpful to some people, but for me, that was not a helpful technique. It's more helpful for me to just completely stay away and not plan on drinking anything. Sure. And so talk to me about the, the health, you know, the health issues that you had. Did they eventually end up going away when you quit drinking 41 days ago? No, I still have some lung issues, but it is getting better. And I find that when I'm exercising, it's better. And since I stopped drinking, I'm exercising a lot more. So it's, I think it's getting better, but I still need to go get a follow-up exam, things like that. And I thought my rheumatoid arthritis symptoms, I thought after I stopped drinking that they would go away and they haven't, but they have gotten better. But that's, you know, I think for me, the first week, the first two weeks was really, really hard because I was so tired. I was so crabby. I was thinking that I would be pain-free from these symptoms and I wasn't because I had this notion that once I stopped drinking, all this would go away. And that's, that's not the way it works. That's not the way life is. But things are getting better. And now into the fifth week, I feel so much better mentally and physically. Nice. So, yeah, it's better. You know, I used to have these pains in like my wrist and my hips. And I noticed they were just gone one day in sobriety. But it happened at like the six-month mark. And so I'm mm-hmm. not too sure 41 days is too early for you to notice that stuff, but it wasn't like I noticed it slowly fading away. It was, it was just this pain. I, I realized one day I was like, Whoa, you know, I, I threw a football, I think. And then I went surfing one time and the pain wasn't there. So it, it could be too early for That's a lot of that cool. stuff to, to go away. Yeah, that would be awesome. And you're right. You know, I mean, I, I was like 15, 20 years of heavy drinking. It's not going to necessarily go away in a month. You know, it might take six months. It might take a year. I mean, my body, I imagine, has a lot of recovering lots to do. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. And then also, I know on one of your podcasts, you recommended a book to help with energy. It's like the all-day energy diet. Yeah. So I picked up that book, and the author of that book had suffered a lot of autoimmune conditions. And Correct. so He lost his hair I'm because of it. Some, yeah, I know. He had so many random things, and none of the doctors could help him. And so he changed that all with his diet. So I'm looking at, I'm reading that book too, which I'm hoping that'll help some of my ailments also. How far are you through that book? I'm probably about halfway through until they get to the recipes. I'm into the digestion part of it. Gotcha. Talking about the digestion things. Yeah. Um, the, the book Laura is talking to is called The All Day Energy Diet. And I think it's uh, the last name of the author is Yuri. Am I correct on that? Do you know who wrote it? That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. But the the title is misleading, and he he says that the publisher, they wanted the word diet in there. It's not a diet. Um, It's more of a lifestyle, and it just debunks a bunch of myths. And I read that, you know, when I quit drinking, I lost about 10 pounds. And then I read that about six months into sobriety, and then I lost another 12 to 13 in the following, you know, rest of six months or after six months. And it was just a bunch of small changes. I didn't really have to do anything. I just, like one of them was I stopped eating bananas. Number two is I really thought about my hydration and I added lemon in my water and salt and just a ton of really small changes started juicing. Yeah. And the weight just like before I knew it, I looked down and it just was coming off. So it was, it was pretty cool. I highly recommend that book because health and nutrition was a huge part of my recovery. And, and Laura, I feel like I've already gotten a little bit ahead of myself. Let's back it up to the summer of 2016. And so you're part of this harm group and you're, you're calling like social workers and like people to get you checked in and whatnot. And it didn't work out. Take us uh, after that. What happened? I guess I just kind of gave up on it. I mean, I kind of felt like they all failed me. And I guess that's a kind of a rotten attitude to have. But I, you know, I'd made a lot of phone calls. I'd written a lot of emails and nobody was 
seeming to care. So I was just like, screw it, you know. And then, you know, on top of that, last summer I had an uncle that passed away. So it was kind of just a rough summer, to, you know, just in general. So I just kind of said, screw it. And I just, you know, I continued drinking. And the school year started. When the school year starts, things just fly by and happen like crazy. So from September until, you know, January, when I started listening to the podcast and getting really serious about it, I just drank like every single night. Now, is it something that you just could have kind of put on the back burner? Because it sounds like you had a case of the efforts, which everybody's had, and which is totally normal. But did you just continue to drink and not even really think about it? Pretty much. I mean, I, I wanted to stop, but not to the point where I was going to do anything about it. I certainly wasn't going to go to any meetings or anything like that. Not that I have anything against meetings, but I just wasn't there yet. In fact, last summer, the thought of going to like an AA meeting would me in tears. I mean, I would just get so upset about it. I don't know why. I really don't know why. But then, you know, after I started listening to the podcast, I thought, you know, this is what people do. This is what normal people do. This is okay. You know, so just kind of put things into perspective. And I think maybe I just grew up. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe turning 40 this year, I'd, I'm like, okay, I really need to grow up. And, you know, it's kind of sad when I look back on my 30s and think of all that time wasted. It's sad to me. And like, I want a better life. I hope my 40s are better. <laughs> yeah. I can remember more. Yeah. And, you know, it, when it sounds like that time when your school year started for your kids where you knew you were going to stop, but you didn't really want to. That's a really difficult time for people to be in. I remember uh, about five months before I quit drinking, I was in that same place where in the back of my mind, I knew one day I was going to have to quit drinking, but I just wasn't ready. You know, like mm -hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd make a bunch of feeble, weak efforts and I just never really gave it all my effort. But it's a, that's a really tough spot. I what describe a little bit more about how that how that felt for you? Yeah, just being in a spot exactly. where you know, like you kept on drinking, but you knew you knew that you're gonna quit one day, or like, but you didn't really want to quit. I didn't, and I would string two days. I would have two days where I wouldn't drink, but always by the third day, I was like, I just I I liked it. I wanted it. You know, I think I it was like a self medication. It relaxed me every night. You know, I was very, very responsible about it. I would never drink and drive. I would never, you know, I would always make sure my kids had their homework done. You know, everything was always done perfectly by like 8 o'clock so I could start drinking. I just really liked it. Going back to January, thinking about over a month sober, like I couldn't even fathom that. I don't even know how it's happened. I mean, I do, but... Um, so did something change I, during the holidays or did you have like a rock bottom moment? No, you know what I didn't. I mean, it. I mean, I know this sounds really lame, but it was listening to the podcast and being able to relate to the people who I was listening to. And oh, that person's like me. Oh, she did this. Oh, he did this. You know. And it's oh, normal. You know, when you have an issue like this, you do. You go to meetings. You talk to people. You, you know, all this realization. And then I think being a part of the Facebook group too. And seeing people living happy and living sober, I mean, this is, I've said this before on Facebook, especially in the beginning, because I was on the site for a good few weeks before I stopped, and I always felt like I was lurking. <laughs> and I felt like an imposter because I'm seeing all this great stuff, and it's like, it's like they were all in the land of Oz, where everything is colorful and everything is golden and crisp. And I was stuck in Kansas where it was black and white and just, you know, just so dry. And I, I kept thinking, how do I get there? How do I get there? And I think it was that desire that got me through that third day. And I think that third day, that third, fourth day, it was probably the hardest. And then after that, it kind of, 
it got easier. The cravings got less. You know, after a weekend, it was like, well, I'm a weekend. I'm not going to screw it up now. So it just kind of got easier after that. I love the analogy regarding Oz in Kansas because that is a lot what it's like. It's like black and white, and you just want to jump through mm-hmm. and get to the color and get past those first couple of really bad days. And you're right, the cravings do subside on that. But let's back it up a little bit more. I mean, something had to happen before before we hit re- the record button. You mentioned that you, you typed in alcoholism and drinking sobriety into the search bar. You know, did you just wake up one morning or one day and you're like, you know what, I'm going to search about this? Or did something happen the night before? You're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Totally sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's something that, you know, I've been looking into since the summertime here and there. And, you know, when I was looking for podcasts to listen to, because I drive a lot, I drive, I commute to work and back. So it gives me something to do in the car. So I just like to search subjects that I'm interested in and addiction and alcoholism is one of my interest areas, I guess. So that's why I searched for it and hoping to get some tips and some pointers and things like that, too. Yeah, and it's a really good barometer to gauge where you are in like the ready to quit drinking scale because when I first put you know surrounded myself in an AA meeting around a group of other alcoholics, I ran for the hills and I said, "Look, I'm not an alcoholic because I have nothing in common with these people." And it sounds like when you heard the podcast, you were you were at a spot in your life where you're ready to quit drinking because you're focusing on on the similarities, which I think is really cool, and that's a huge takeaway right there from that statement. Yeah, but let's 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 talk about how you did it. And you know, what was it like the first day, first twenty four hours, first couple of days? How how did you do it? I started on a Saturday, and that was okay. I guess just keeping myself busy and going for walks. And the first night wasn't too bad. The second night was Sunday night, and that was kind of hard because Sunday night's a little bit of a trigger for me. I'm getting ready for the work week, and it's kind of stressful. Sometimes on Sunday, I would start drinking at like six. I had everything done. But it was it was okay. But then that third day, which was Monday, which was my mom's birthday, which was the day that I was like, I almost drank. I mean, I came really close to drinking that third day. But just by going for a walk and getting, I think anything that you can do to get your mind off of it, listening to a podcast or reading a book or going for a walk, that helped me personally get through it. Definitely. There was a time in the evening, probably like 8 to 9.30-ish, that was the hardest time. And if getting past that time, then it was fine. It was like, okay, time to go to bed, and that was it. Yeah, I found the hours from like 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. were the hardest for some reason. Once I got to like the 8 o'clock, it's like, all right, I, I can I can make an attempt to go to bed at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. But yeah, there was, was a couple hours of each day that were really hard for me in early sobriety for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're, exactly what you're talking about. And walk us through a typical day with 41 days of sobriety of how you're doing it today. I don't think about it that much when I get up. I mean, I do get up, though, with like an excitement, like a jump in my steps. Like, it's so nice to wake up and not feel like so awful about yourself. I mean, it's that old, old <laughs> yeah, that's cliche, you know, you wake up and you feel, yeah, you feel just so guilty. Like, oh, why did I do that? I'm not going to do it again tonight, but then you do it again. Anyways, you don't have any of that. You wake up, you feel clear headed. You know, lately the weather's been a little bit better. So I've been getting up and I've been running and walking my dog before, you know, I have to get ready for work. And so my energy level's back. At work, I don't have to feel guilty. If I have a meeting with a parent, I don't have to worry, oh my gosh, does my breath smell like vodka? Do I need to get chewing gum? And then when I get home, if if I feel like I need to have a drink, like a lot of times when I was cooking before, I like to have a glass of wine when I cook, I kind of switched over to coffee. So kind of getting a bad coffee habit, but I'm okay with that. So 
lot of times when I get home and I'm doing chores and I'm um, cooking, I'm enjoying some really good coffee. And that's been helpful. And then again, on the evenings, just keeping busy. If I have extra time, I like to look through my books. I'm reading a number of books that you all recommend, like The Naked Mind and The 30 Day Sobriety Solution. I'm going through them really slowly. It's been a really, really busy month at work, so I haven't had a lot of time. But especially come summer, I'm going to have a lot more time. So I'm planning on going to meetings in the summertime and going through these books and working through these books and building up a portfolio and having enjoying having the time to do all that. Yeah, I would recommend taking your time on those books. There's no need to fly through them and miss some valuable mm-hmm. points. That's awesome. And what is on your bucket list in sobriety, Laura? What what out there is that you really want to accomplish? Oh, good question. You know, I'd love to be able to run like a 5K like continuously. Right now I'm doing the couch to 5K program and I'm up to like running five minutes continuously and I run very, very slow, but I would love to like be able to run longer distance continuously, you know, and then maybe travel. I haven't had a lot of chances to travel. Usually we just go up north in the summertime and things like that. I'd love to explore the upper peninsula more and then places around the United States. I haven't been to that many states and that's about it, you know enjoying my family, spending time with my kids, quality time, whereas before it wasn't always there. And Laura, you're 40 years old. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, good gosh. Stop while you're young. This is a way better way to be. Regardless of what you think, uh, it's it's not real. It's this perception that's completely not real. And, you know, it's way better to be coherent and be able to live things firsthand. I mean, now that I've stopped, like I feel like I'm experiencing some things firsthand. I'm like, wow, I'm like, as an adult, this is the first time I've experienced like last weekend I had a birthday party. This is the first sober birthday party I can remember as, as being an adult, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. They're a Um, lot different than drunken birthday parties. mm Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot better. You get to experience things and feel the emotions, which is not a bad thing. I don't know why I would run from it. So I guess that's what I would tell my younger self. Don't run from emotions. Experience it and feel it. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. And what are your thoughts on relapse? Oh, it scares the hell out of me, especially when I see people on the recovery elevator group. I mean, there are people who have been sober for six months, who've been sober for a year, who relapse. Um, it scares me. It, it, I don't I don't want to ever not have control like I didn't have control before. And it was such a loss of control, and I hope I'm not at that point again. I agree with you on that. The, these uh, relapses don't keep me sober through fear, but they do scare me when I when I when I see them. And you know, I'm like, wow, they they help me, shall I say? It's kind of like my rocket fuel to maintain my sobriety. But it's just it's just a good reminder that we're really never in the clear because you hear people 20 years of sobriety relapsing. So I mean, I have 2.5 years. That's really nothing at all. So at any moment, it could happen. So I just got to keep doing mm-hmm. what I'm doing. That's my plan. Just keep doing this because it's a huge part of my recovery portfolio and Laura we have reached the rapid fire round if you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds that would be great are you ready I'm ready all right number one what was your worst memory from drinking my son I forget what he did but he did something that was bad so I had to take away his iPad and I was so drunk one night that accidentally instead of putting away his iPad I grabbed my husband's iPad and I hit it so the next day he couldn't find his iPad and I had no idea where I hit it. I'm 
I was supposed to take the sons. I took the husband and I hit it and he's looking for his iPad and he's mad and he somehow has this app, this find my iPad app. So somehow he was able to log onto his computer and make it beep. It no was way. in my son's pillow. Yeah, it was luckily because otherwise we wouldn't have found it for a long time. It was like in my son's pillowcase. That's a pretty good hiding place. Good job, Laura. I yeah, I that was the most ridiculous thing, and I was so embarrassed, and you know, like I kind of laughed it off, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is really messed up. <laughs> so yeah, that was bad funny. memory. And Laura, we've all heard of that aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking? When I was much younger, before I met my husband, I was at the bar with some friends and this guy who I'd been dating, and I'd been dating him for like a month. He was about to introduce me to his family, and you know, I was head over heels in love with him, and I got so drunk, I don't remember what happened, but somehow I pissed him off so bad. He paid my friend to drive him home, and I still to this day don't know what I did, but he would not talk to me after that ever again. Really? And I still sometimes, yeah, sometimes once in a great while, I'll have a dream that I find a videotape of that night and I watch it and I get to find out what happened. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't Do you still want to know? Crazy. I, like now I don't care. Like my life is, you know, I'm, I'm way past them. I mean, this was forever ago, but it's just like intriguing. I mean, and at the same time, I, I don't know um, if you know the song Lit, My Own Worst Enemy yeah. by Lit. Uh-huh, that song. song was that whole night like, just about, you know, not remembering what you did and you did something really bad and oh it was terrible. So yeah, that was my probably my biggest oh shit moment. That is awesome. The next question, Laura, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? To continue to stay connected to everybody. I haven't really been to a class yet. Um, again, this month has been so busy with work related things. So I'm so once things settle down and planning on going to classes, I want to try AA, I want to try smart recovery also. I just want to stay connected. I would like to also do, you know, figure out some service work to do too for one of the organizations just to give back. And I think it'll help me stay successful too. Stay connected with the pack service work. You've, you've got it covered. Great responses. Mm-hmm. And next question, what is your favorite resource in recovery? Maybe besides recovery elevator, if it is one of your favorites, but you know, you mentioned some podcasts, plural, you can mention more than one, but what are some resources you like to, to experience in recovery? I like the books I'm reading, the 30 day sobriety solution. I like that. And the smart recovery, you know, I'm excited for our online meeting, but I'm also excited to go to the smart meeting that's local um, around here just to kind of see what that's about. But I got to tell you by far, it's the recovery elevator, the podcast and the Facebook group is, is just so you're so connected and you're so connected with people who are so uh, supportive. I mean, anything I've posted on there, I just have, so much support from so many great people. It's been amazing. And I think that's probably like 99% of why I am successful right now in sobriety. Yeah. In regards to sobriety, Laura, what's the best advice you've ever received? To definitely take it one day at a time. I think without that mindset, I don't think I would have been successful. I mean, there was a time that first week, I think it was in the first day or two where I opened up my door wall to let out a cat and, you know, it was warm outside. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how am I going to deal with not having drinks on a deck this summer? And I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I don't have to worry about that. I'm just, I'm just worried about today. And that lifted the biggest burden off me. It was incredible, an amazing feeling that I didn't have to worry about the summertime. I didn't have to worry about going to the beach and not drinking. I didn't have to worry about not having drinks on the deck. All I have to worry about is this moment. All I have to worry about is tonight. That is by far 
been the greatest advice I've ever received. Yeah, you just nailed that. Nice job. Yeah, it's great advice. I'm passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm passionate about that one. Yeah, pretty much any worry in life, it's it's not happening at the moment, very rarely. Yeah, just worry about it when it gets there and you know, take it one minute, that's one day, one point. hour at a time. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point. That could help my anxiety in general, actually. Great point. Yeah, and before we depart, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking? Stay connected. Use all the resources. The books are great. Go to meetings. Just don't don't give up. Even if you can't string more than a day or two right now, just don't give up and it'll happen. Don't give up. Just keep moving forward. And before we depart, mm-hmm. Laura, give the listeners your own customizer. You might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic. If you go to the bar with a group of friends and the bartender is a little bit slower than you like, so you have to order two drinks at a time to make sure you don't have to go empty. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I've done that before. Hey, and I'm an alcoholic. Okay. It's, it's crazy. It, it's, it holds true every time. Every time. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Because heaven forbid you have to look at your empty drink for more than five minutes, right? Oh, yeah. That, that's the worst. And just lean against the bar, realizing that you're sobering up mm-hmm. faster than the bartender is pouring yeah. drinks. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Not cool. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to our group next Tuesday. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for helping organize it. Yeah, no problem. Before we close out with an interesting article, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Oh, I forgot to mention the retreat. This retreat will be capped at 35. We are currently at 28 registrations, so do not wait. Use the code BOZEMAN, that's lowercase B-O-Z-E-M-A-N, for $50 off. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash retreats. With the money that I've saved in not drinking alcohol, I decided to treat myself to a couple magazine subscriptions. One of them is called The Economist. Now, this is a weekly publication, and they usually just pile up on my kitchen table. But on the cover of one of the issues was the title Bar Wars, and I decided to take a look. It turns out that India has a drunk driving issue. I think an issue is an understatement. They have about 400 deaths a day, not necessarily due to drunk driving, but about 400 traffic fatalities a day. Now, I've read that around the world, the standard is anywhere from 30 to 40% of driving fatalities involve alcohol. So right there, you could surmise that India has around 150 to 180 drunk driving deaths per day. Wow, that is a very high number. So what do they do about it? The government passed a law that drinking establishments could not be 500 meters away from a highway. Hmm. The result, about 100,000 outlets and about a million jobs will be lost. When I say outlets, I'm referring to establishments that sell poison. 
A couple establishments have gotten around this by changing where the front door is. Some of them are located 490 meters from a federal highway, and they would do a remodel and make the entrance in the back. Another workaround that I guarantee a couple drunk individuals thought of is they've started to rename highways. At age 17, my best friend Brady and I, we stole a stop sign. I feel really bad about it. In fact, we took a pizza box and a Sharpie and some tape and we wrote stop on the pizza box and taped it up where the previous stop sign was. This is a true story. But what these individuals are doing, they're taking down the federal highway signs and replacing the signs with local highway signs. Therefore, it's no longer a federal highway. It's a local highway. So our drinking establishment can continue. Just wanted to share that piece of excellent writing with you guys. So Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 